Hey, everybody, get ready for an informative episode from Parents' Rights in Education. I'm Suzanne Gallagher, and I'm looking forward to our time together. We stand and defend the fundamental rights of all parents to raise their children and firmly believe children belong to their families, not the state, not the teachers, the teachers' union, or any other bureaucrat. I invite you to visit our website, parentsrightsined.com. Sign up to receive our news alerts. Like our Facebook page. Join or form a Parents' Rights and Education affiliate chapter. Making your voice heard is always easier with others. Just grab a couple friends and you're there. We will help with training, information, branding, and contact referrals. Let's start a Facebook group for you. Submit the chapter inquiry form on our website, parentsrightsined.com. Hello, this is Parents' Rights Now, and I'm Suzanne Gallagher, Executive Director of Parents' Rights in Education. Everything we defend rests on the premise children belong to their parents, not the state, not the bureaucrats, and definitely not the union. Parents have the final say. The topic today, equity versus equality, is not new. It has permeated universities and now, by natural progression, has made its way into K-12 education. Jordan Peterson argues equality of outcome is an impossible goal and a terrible idea. In fact, it is a Marxist premise, which works only in theory. And here's why. People are individuals. Everything about us is different. We have different interests, talents, gifts, passions, life experiences, and backgrounds. Our families are different, some good and some not so great. Our founders knew this when they drafted the United States Constitution. They had lived under despots who made them equal, equally miserable, and they wanted the opportunity to succeed or fail on their own terms. Equal opportunity is a far cry from equity of outcomes. Dr. Neil Shenvey, a homeschooling theoretical chemist who lives in Durham, North Carolina with his wife and four children, published an article on August 20th, 2020, and it's titled, North Carolina Considers Using Public Schools to Discriminate in the Name of Equality. Dr. Chevy says, If the Board of Education is proposing we prioritize equal outcome over equal treatment, it will have to draw clear lines to ensure it doesn't inscribe injustice on the heart of our educational system. It has drawn no such lines. Imagine that a State Board of Education passed a resolution adopting liberty as its educational framework, pledged to review and appropriately revise its policies using a liberty lens and created a liberty officer who received unspecified power to ensure every group achieved liberty in their educational outcomes. 
parents would understandably be alarmed and they would ask questions like, well, how is liberty being defined? And will there be any public oversight of the liberty officer? And what will be the checks on his or her power? And if the entire public school system adopts liberty as a framework, what role will education play? Are there any constraints on what can be done in the name of liberty? If this scenario sounds substitute the word equity for the word liberty, and you'll arrive at an actual resolution from the North Carolina State Board of Education. What is equity? Well, equity is a buzzword in education today with numerous major school systems, including New York, Oregon, and Illinois, committing to incorporate it in the curriculum. If you consult the dictionary, equity means the quality of being fair and impartial, something no parent or educator would dream of opposing. And given this definition, it's natural to assume equity is merely a synonym of equality. When used in the context of contemporary education, activism, and public policy, however, equity generally means something very different. Well, our author goes on to say, a popular image commissioned by the Interaction Institute for Social Change illustrates the difference between equality and equity in practice. The picture shows three individuals, one tall, one medium height, and one short in stature, viewing a baseball game from behind a fence. They are all standing on boxes of equal height. Everyone can see, oh, except the short person, who remains shorter than the top of the fence, even with aid of his box. This image is labeled equality. The next picture features the same scenario, except the tall person has no box. The medium height person has one box as before, and the short person has two boxes to stand on, giving them all similar abilities to see over the fence. This image is labeled equity. Now, Dr. Shivi goes on to say, note the, that equality entails giving all three people equal resources, but leads to an undesirable outcome, while equity produces a desirable outcome by supposing that some people require unequal resources to offset their disadvantages. How does the resolution understand equity? At first glance, the North Carolina resolution appears to be defining equity in terms of equality of opportunity. It maintains that the state constitution legally obligates the Board of Education to ensure equity, demanding equal opportunity shall be provided for all students. Elsewhere, it explicitly defines educational equity as the belief and practice of ensuring that every student is treated in a fair and just manner, and even says that equity is equality of opportunity. Despite these statements, the resolution mentions in passing that, quote, punitive disciplinary practices, lack of access to and supports for teachers of color, unequal access to educational opportunities and supports, implicit and explicit biases, 
and segregation perpetuate inequity in the outcomes of students, unquote. This statement should give the reader pause. If equity means equality of opportunity, then presumably inequity means inequality of opportunity. But how can outcomes be inequitable if equity refers to opportunity, not to outcome? Indeed, since the document insists that the North Carolina Constitution already commits the state to provide equality of opportunity, this entire resolution is irrelevant and unnecessary unless equity means something besides equality of opportunity. What would it take? Even if we table the question of how exactly the word equity is being used, we can ask, what would an equity framework practically require? According to the document, treating students in a fair and just manner involves eliminating discriminatory barriers to full participation and opportunities for every student. These barriers include systemic racism, poverty, poor health, unsafe environments, nutrition deficiencies, and limited access to services and infrastructure needed to support their long-term health and safety. A moment's reflection shows the breathtaking magnitude of this assertion. If equity demands we remove barriers such as poverty and unsafe environments, imagine the kind of power that will have to be granted to the school system and the equity officer specifically to achieve these goals. How precisely could any school system eliminate the barriers of poverty or poor health? Since it obviously can't, will the pursuit of equity simply be used as an excuse to divert more and more power and resources to an office committed to an unattainable goal? Here, questions of oversight and accountability become extremely important. The resolution calls the state to reorient the school system around an equity framework. Yet, the so-called equity officer is the only person charged with ensuring consistency and continuity with this essential guiding principle inside and outside the agency. This approach effectively invests a single person with the tremendous power of determining which policies are consistent with what is now the, quote, essential guiding principle, unquote, of the school system, even if we think equity, whatever it is, is a noble goal, we dare not entrust any one person with this kind of tremendous power absent any checks or balances. The resolution is a recipe for injustice. The language and overall thrust of this resolution are concerning. If the board members believe that contrary to the state constitution, students should be treated unequally to ensure equity of outcome, they should say so explicitly. 
without question, some unequal treatment is compatible with justice and fairness, such as when schools provide extra resources and tutoring to students with learning disabilities or free lunches to students experiencing poverty. Yet, other unequal treatment is unjust and unfair, such as when North Carolina spent decades discriminating against non-Caucasian students. If the Board of Education is proposing we shift our entire education system to a framework that prioritizes equal outcome over equal treatment, it will have to draw very clear lines to ensure that in the pursuit of justice, it doesn't inscribe injustice in the heart of our education system. This resolution draws no such lines, and therefore we should review it with extreme skepticism. Dr. Shenvey makes a valid argument. What he fails to realize or remind himself of is that the public schools today do not consider their role as educational institutions. They boldly admit they are now social service agencies providing all services to children and families. At least that's what I heard from a Tiger Tualatin school board president. Actually, three years ago. Continuing on, let's tie back to Jordan Peterson. He ties an impressive bow around this subject in his article, Equity, when the left goes too far. His observation of the predictable effort on the left's part to lay a guilt trip on conservatives is spot on. Jordan Peterson says, equity doctrine as a moral weapon. None of this stops the pushers of the diversity, inclusivity, and equity, or D-I-E, interesting acronym, isn't it? DIE, triad, from using the doctrine of equity as a moral weapon in service of their fundamental claim, white men historically and currently and unjustly and cruelly dominate historically and in consequence all inequalities of outcome must be regarded as unjust and used as a proof of the central contention that is the idea of patriarchal western oppression that is the central dogma of the radical left this is a terrible thing not only because it identifies perpetrators who must be punished in victims who must be coddled and protected, both equally dangerous consequences, but because it risks interfering with the progress that is actually being made to bring the world's poorest people up to a standard of living that is vastly improved over what was typical even 20 years ago, even in the poorest of countries. Free democracies with market economies or even just the market economies themselves with the freedom they inevitably bring, certainly produce inequality, just like every other economic and political system ever devised. But they also produce wealth, and enough of that is distributed to those at the bottom of the hierarchy to lift them out of the abject poverty that constitutes the utter misery of, say, excess child mortality, lack of access to any education whatsoever, and outright starvation. Thus, there is no excuse for radical leftists to claim virtue on behalf of their care for the poor, 
given that their entire doctrine is likely to and has been indisputably shown to make everything worse for precisely those upon whom their attention is so emphatically lavished. Peterson's conclusion is, we know the left can go too far. The Soviets taught us that. The Maoists and the Khmer uh, Rouge taught us that. The North Koreans and the Cubans and the Venezuelans continue to teach us in the same manner. We don't know exactly when and where the going too far begins. But I'm willing to stake my claim on the equity doctrine. In a word, it's inexcusable, both morally and practically, and should be regarded in my estimation as an ideological position that should be roundly rejected by anyone who wishes to be taken seriously in any reasonable political discussion. And we should well remember that reasonable political discussion is the only alternative we have to outright strife and the kind of conflict that tends to degenerate rapidly and dangerously. This is what we are seeing now, folks. Rapid and dangerous degeneration. Vote wisely in November. This is Parents' Rights Now, and I'm Suzanne Gallagher. Please forward this to your friends. Do you know any parents who don't have any time to read lengthy emails? That's what the podcast is for. You have complete control over your access to this information. And you can share it. Share, share, share. Please send it to your friends and invite them to subscribe to Parents' Rights Now. Don't forget to register for the Northwest Safe Schools Summit featuring Walt Heyer, Heidi St. John, Bernadette Broyles Esquire, and Rebecca Friedrichs. Check out events on our website. Parents' Rights in Education is a tax-deductible, non-profit organization. We rely solely on your contributions. Help stop sexualization of our students in public schools. Together, we can do this. See you next time to learn more about parents' rights now.